Hey, hello everyone. I'm back. This is his mental podcast. Today I invite the oldest living uh comedian in Berlin to talk with us. Uh so Andrew, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hey, I'm Drew Pornoy. I uh I'm the oldest living comedian in Berlin. Yeah. That's how I introduce myself sometimes. Yeah. Okay, but is that true? Are you actually the oldest living comedian? No, I think there's James Kuhn who I'm although, you know. <laughs> He yeah, to, he could be, and there's also there's German comedians who are older, but uh, that's not as funny to say. It's always weird when I use that joke, and there's like other comedians there that are older. I always wonder what they think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, you are older than me, but then you are you don't can't really consider us living. You're half dead already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. That's why, or I get introduced as the grandpa of the comedy scene. Mm-hmm. And and how old are you? Fifty three. Fifty three is not that old, actually. Yeah, I don't know. It's age is like you can't. It's like the sun; you can't stare right at it. You know, I don't really know what that means. Uh-huh. And uh, and how how long have you been doing comedy? I actually started when I was forty, so thirteen years. But I took I, when I went moved to the states. I kind of stopped for two years. I was in the states for two years, and I stopped for two years. And then we all kind of took a two year pause during Corona, really. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like now oh, thirteen, the minus four. Yeah. 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 But probably then, about 10 years. I think about 10 years. Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, you mentioned states. So are you German or are you like uh, American? I'm American. I mean, they, I feel like Germany owes me dual citizenship, but mm-hmm. they want you you can't have dual citizenship basically you can, but it's complicated. And, but I feel like they owe it to me. I feel like, you know, Chancellor Schultz would come over and give me a passport personally. Yeah, I think you you definitely deserve a dual citizenship because I know you 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 are married and you have a German children, right? Yeah. I mean, if you make German children, you deserve a passport. I know yeah, people totally. who don't have children and they have it. See, it's not fair. Yeah. I'm already I'm helping everybody's retirement here. <laughs> and uh, um, so, uh, did you start uh, your comedy in in the states or in in Berlin? No, I started here. I always loved comedy and I always wanted to do it, but I just didn't think I could write be write and be funny. But I always wanted to do it. And then like I saw German comedians. I was like, these guys are so terrible. So then I thought, <laughs> yeah. So then I thought like, uh, and it has to be said, they've gotten a lot better in the 10 years I've been or whatever. I've been doing they've gotten better. But I just thought like, if you want to try it, then I turn 40, then do it now. And then you can just, you know, check it off and say like, okay, that didn't work. At least I tried it. I can die now. And so, in that, Ben, also, I started in German. And I think uh, if you do it in a foreign language, it's kind of like a protection. Like, mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, you say, well, that's just the language or whatever. Like, people say, oh, it must be harder in a foreign language. But I think it's easier to start in a foreign language because then you have, like, a natural protection. I, then- I I can relate a bit to it. Um, I, I never tried a Chinese comedy, but I do feel like... Uh, uh, I I cannot imagine myself to go, to do comedy in Chinese because I fear there it's more personal and uh, uh, and I fear there's more like um, uh, nuance in it and I fear potentially I get more attack if I'm not doing it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the extra protection that a foreign language gives you. It's like I mean they say there's the fourth wall that protects like the actor from the audience and it it's like then you have a fifth wall too. Yeah, yeah. Are there Chinese stand-up comedians? Uh, y- yes, I think it's it's different when they say stand-up comedy in, in China. Uh, it only started in, in the, let's say, late years, five to, to, to seven years. 
but uh, stand-up comedy it's a live performance where you polish it again and again then uh, at very late stage you go on tv uh, but in china it's it's the other way around it starts on tv uh, <laughs> and um, and it, and then the promote to to the country of the culture uh, so uh, the Polish part is not such a long process, which I think is the most important part. I actually got, uh, actually now in Berlin, there's a Chinese Mandarin language uh, comedy uh, starting, um, but I'm trying to have a distance from it because uh, if you see my comedy, uh, like uh, um, the, the Chinese culture, uh, the China display, place is where I grew up where I accumulated all my childhood trauma so yeah. to uh, access uh, the language I think it's I, I don't feel so safe wow that's interesting okay mm -hmm. or and, it might, uh, might be mm -hmm. good mm -hmm. and uh, speaking about the trauma uh, you, you once told me you, you have uh, like a uh, uh, trauma and uh, you were depressed and uh, now you have uh, children so do you want to mention uh, talk about your uh, your mental health journey where it starts where did you realize something <laughs> went wrong uh, it's kind of weird I, I uh, like my mother I was very I was way too close to my mother that's a very that's an interesting uh, thing and she probably she probably was bipolar uh i make this joke on the stage today they call it bipolar back then it was just annoying uh, <laughs> because it was like living with an addict you didn't know if she was gonna be nice to you one day or uh, not you just didn't know what was gonna happen and uh then my parents got divorced and that like just kind of then she just kind of went nuts really and so we were living at home with her going crazy but she also like when i grew up in the 70s and 80s psychotherapy was new it really wasn't like if you went to a psychotherapist that that was negative you could but my mother loved it she loved psychotherapy and so it's one on the one side she's acting totally crazy the whole time but then the other side everything we did had some psychological reason like we didn't just spill a coke we spilled a coke because we were mad at her or we were upset that my parents got divorced it was always like this deeper meaning where sometimes you're just like mom i just spilled the coke can we clean it up and you and you had to kind of deal with that all the time. And then, so I was in therapy uh, since I was like ten or something, and it never made sense to me. I didn't. I mean, at the time, it didn't make sense to me because I thought if this psychotherapy is so great, why is my mom insane? She's in therapy all the time. Uh, she should be fine. This shouldn't be an issue. And she never was fine. And then uh, I also thought like the therapist, I shouldn't have to tell the therapist anything. They should just know what's wrong with me. Like if such a good therapist, you know, because uh -huh. well, I was, I was at, tw I was 12. I was like, I don't know. And I, I still think like they should have thought like, okay, how's the divorce affecting you or whatever. And so I just kind of made stuff up and didn't take it seriously. And so then I thought, well, therapy is not real, you know, like it just isn't. So I didn't, I mean, I don't have a great experience with therapy. And then, but then, so my mom, and my grandmother were insane. And then I definitely inherited some of that. You can't, you have to, you can't not do it. Yeah. And so, yeah, so there, and then there's that, then I was way too close to my mother, which uh, in psychological terms is called intertwined families. The families are too close I, because she was divorced and I ended up living with her, not my brother. I became her partner. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a 15 year old, basically dating my mother. I mean, <laughs> it sounds, it sounds horrible, but that's what actually what happens because she lost mm -hmm. her partner. She mm -hmm. had nobody to confide in. So then I was just standing there and I was happy to have the attention of my mother. 
but because she was insane, like one day we would be friends and I would tell her about these women I was dating. And then the next day she would be my mother and she would be mad at me for these women I was dating. And so you would be super intimate and, conf and confidential one day and the next day she would use it against you. And so that was kind of brutal. And then when I finally figured all that out during college, I realized what was actually happening and that that wasn't all right. Uh, and I wanted to talk to her. I was going to be like, hey, mom, look, you know, these things weren't okay that you did. Uh, let's talk about it. Uh, she announced that she had fatal leukemia. So, uh, yeah. So then what do you do? That It's kind of like, oh, Trump. Yeah, you won. Okay. You win the card game. Just never mind. Uh, and do you, you say your mom being insane. What, what do you mean insane? Yeah, I mean, I probably use that term. <laughs> for my age group, that's a okay way to use it, but probably for now, it's not okay. It was just this thing you didn't, it was like living with an addict. You had no idea which version of her you were going to get every day. It was like the thing of like, we would go out to dinner, we'd have a really nice dinner, and I would tell her, I'm dating this woman, and this is what I think about her, and oh, we had sex. And then the next day, she would get mad at me for something inconsequential, and then scream at me that I'm an awful human being, because I'm sleeping with this girl, we're not married, we don't go to church. Uh, and so that's what I, when I say insane, I just didn't know who I was going to mm -hmm. deal with. And it wasn't as if she was just not nice to me. She was horrible to me. She would scream at me. Uh, you know, it was just, it was, uh, and I was the only person, there was no one there that I didn't have a father to protect me. My brother wasn't there. It was just me having to get screamed at all the time. Wow. And so to me, it seemed insane. Yeah. And uh, you say she, she got a leukemia. Uh, like how long did it last Are the, the, before she, I assume she's not there anymore yeah she died yeah two and, years and, and be, before she died did you find a closure in this relationship no huh that's what i'm saying like I, I i i was at that point where i was gonna say like hey mom you know like let's talk about this i couldn't even get to that because about the time i had the thought she called me and said oh, i have this leukemia who knows what's going to happen and then you're focused on is she going to survive or not because at the time the way doctors talk they always make it sound like people are going to survive even when they know they're not going to survive and uh, so you're focused on that and then that became, you know, her dying. It took two years, but that became the focus. So no, there was never. And I'm not like I'm not really bitter about it. Like I, I just took time to find out what all that was. Like that I know it's called the intertwined family, and like uh, that it was unhealthy. And uh, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> what are you going to do? I didn't give her leukemia. You know, she didn't <laughs> do it to make me mad. So, uh, and and you know, losing your mother, whether regardless of your relationship with them or is is awful enough you know especially i was like i was 25 and now when you think about your mother is uh, what kind of emotions do you have uh no ah uh, yeah it still makes me sad i mean i can't watch a movie where somebody's mother dies when they're young uh and i'm I, my biggest disappointment is she could be a really cool person and i think i have two kids and i think she would have been a really good grandmother i mean they say that the reason grandparents and grandkids are such good friends is because they have a common enemy <laughs> and, and i think that would that's true like she could have taken all that mother stuff out that that made our di uh, relationship difficult and just been a really good grandmother and that's not there they don't have that and uh you like your childhood sounds like a quite uh, uh chaotic and uh, you also mentioned you have children how how did you uh made the decision to become parent yourself I mean, they talk about it. I didn't. I thought like someday we'll have kids, but I didn't think we really. It just happened, you know. Like, uh, I I thought I was infertile, and one of part of her insanity was that <laughs> she would tell us uh, we were infertile because both of my uncles were infertile. So she was always like, "Your uncles are infertile. You guys will never have kids." 
and thinking back, like how insane is that we, we're standing here, you know, like my brother and I are standing there. Obviously, somebody's fertile, but she would tell us that. And so I thought I'm infertile, man, you know. And uh, so then I was dating this woman and I was like, well, I can I, I thought we would act like we're having kids, trying to have kids. And then uh, we could see how the relationship develops along with like not getting pregnant. And then if the relationship really worked out, then we could go to an infertility doctor and figure out how to have kids. But that's not the way the world works. It was like the first time we slept together without protection, she got pregnant. Wow. Yeah. And, and and how how long was it like uh, since you are dating? We had a year. Like we've been together a One year. year. And I think, oh, oh, so thanks. Sorry. My son just came home. Wow, <laughs> thanks, man. He brought me a bubble tea. All right. Uh, yeah, we've been dating for a year. And I think like when you get a certain point in your life and you're like, I'm ready to get married and have kids, you know? Mm-hmm. So. So, so you like uh, having kids is not something you prepared for. It's like it just out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, it totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. We were both unemployed, man. <laughs> Neither one of us had a job at the time. And, and uh, like, uh, why having a very chaotic childhood for yourself and uh, being being a parent? What? How? How did you adapt to this lifestyle? How did you like? Uh, how did? I don't know. For for me, I I decided to not have children. So for me, it's very hard to imagine like me, thirty three years old, one day would become a mom because I have so much trouble. I cannot deal with it. Like how can I raise someone else and make sure they are not traumatized? Yeah, that's um. There's a couple of questions in there. Um, what do I do? I mean. I, I didn't have. A, I went. I went to four different high schools. Like imagine from the age of uh, what fourteen to eighteen, I went to four different schools. That's insane. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I think I tried to do better than my parents is just give my kids some stability. Like uh, this apartment we lived in, they grew up here most of their lives. We lived in one other apartment in Berlin because we moved closer to their school. But they stayed at that. They were at the same school from kindergarten to thirteenth grade. They stayed in the same school, except for the two years in America. And so just give them stability that they have the stability I didn't have. Uh, and then, it, I mean, it comes out like the insanity that I got from my mother. It comes out. It just appears. You you end up in sort of crisis situation with kids. It's not, it, from the outside. It doesn't look like a crisis, but it feels like it. And it comes out there. And I wish sometimes I had just walked away like I had just left the room. Uh, I, nothing horrible happened, but I didn't need to be screaming. So I wish I would just left out. But sometimes I tried to just say, like, look, you're, you're acting like your mother. Stop. Uh, and the, the other key to having a good childhood for your parents is have a good partner. You know, my partner is way more stable than I am. Uh, and uh, when you are raising the children, how, how old are they now? Yeah, they're 18 and 20. Okay, they are both adults now. Yeah. Well, so you... <laughs> they're, they're smaller. Than, I, like, I remember when I, how old I thought I was when I was 18. And yeah. looking at them, you're not as old as you think. You, when you're 18, you're not as old as you think you are. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, when we were child, like uh, uh, you think, uh, oh my God, uh, I'm an adult, I'm so mature, I know so many things. But uh, you only start to understand, you don't understand so many things once you are older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think the thing, like you said, you're 33 and you can't imagine having to have a kid. A lot of having children is just reacting. You mm. know, you don't have a choice. The child is there. Mm. I make that joke that the worst thing about having kids is they never go away. And that's just it. They're there. You're, you're like, if you end up with a kid tomorrow, you have to take care of it. You don't have a choice. It's like having your dogs, you know, mm. there's a lot. You just get up and feed them because you have to. But, but I chose to have my, my dogs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, on some level, I want to have kids too, you know, like mm -hmm. at 
wasn't that that's the other thing like generations this no children thing that's you guys we, that wasn't an option for us that didn't even exist there's no way you could have said to my generation oh i decided not to have kids mm-hmm. to me it still sounds weird when you know millennials and gen z say that like you can't say that like, so it was not a choice for you. You 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 were just like, oh, of course I need to have children. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I I probably even if I was your generation, probably would have decided to have kids too. I don't know. And with uh, raising your children, now you almost fulfill your like function. Now they like uh, very soon they don't need you anymore. So, yeah. uh, with this journey, have you learned something about your mom's experience? Or trying to uh, make sense of some of the complicated relationship uh, with your parents, because for me, like, uh, uh, my mom had a very difficult life, and uh, now I'm a adult, and uh, looking at how difficult my life is, and I feel like drained and difficult. Then I'm thinking, oh my god, it must be horrible. Like, she was with me. And at my age, like, how difficult is that? Yeah, I think, like, part of the reason my my dad basically left us, if you asked him, he wouldn't say he left us, but he thinks, I mean, we, he doesn't think he did, but it was pretty clearly. And I think what you're saying, when you first become an adult, and you have to start paying these bills on your own, and I thought, like, how did my dad leave and leave her alone with that big mess? Like, what, how much of an asshole is he, you know? Like, how did that happen? So, yeah, I do. I do have some sympathy for her, and she, and I mean, they come from the, the their family model is the nineteen fifties family model of my dad worked, she stayed home, took care of us, and overnight, she had to do everything. You know, so I have sympathy for that. I, I understand how how difficult that was, and uh, of course, that's part of why she was insane. You know, I mean, she's already, she already unstable, and then you throw that in there. What's she gonna do? And then uh, later on. When she started, she worked for a corporation. She was very successful in the corporation. She started to have corporate success. Then she just kind of dragged me with her wherever she got promoted. She took me. And that's the part where not, I, I lose some sympathy for her because I think, like, didn't she worry about how that would affect me? And I now realize, looking back, that was a big problem. That That's, like, that's affected me hugely, that I had no stability, none. And I just wonder, like, what was she thinking, man? Like, okay, she was making more and more money, and she was getting more and more uh, prestige from this company. But what about me, you know? On the other side, I do know she loved me a lot and like she would do anything. She just, I don't know, she wasn't prepared for it or nobody told her. I don't know. And with your dad, uh, you said your dad uh, basically left you guys. Uh, and in a private chat we talked about, you said you are going to back to States to visit your dad. How's that relationship going now? I mean, he, that's what I'm saying. He wouldn't think he ever left. He, he had us every other weekend. And then we stayed with him every Thursday night, I think it was, and then we stayed with him every weekend. And uh, and then the weird thing that happened, so we always had kind of contact with him, and he was a decent father when he was around. And then this weird thing happened. I remember that we I went to college with my brother. We lived together, and we got a phone call on a Sunday night, and my dad said, oh, your grandfather died. And then we went to my grandfather's funeral. And after that, from then on, then all of a sudden, my dad started to call once a week, and he started to appear more, kind of like he realized, oh, you know, life is not infinite. And so we always had a relationship with him, and it's a fairly decent one. It's not very, it's not very intimate or close, but he's not capable of that. I mean, he's just not. And uh, I, so yeah, so now he's getting he has dementia, and we just have to make sure he and my stepmother are okay. A year ago, my stepmother called us and said, "Oh, your father doesn't always know where he is, but I don't like to drive, so I just let him drive." 
And so, yeah, so we were like, I think it's hilarious. When I tell people that, they think it's tragic. I thought it was funny. But my brother and I are both like, okay, I think we need to go. My brother lives in Amsterdam. I think we need to go see, go there, make sure everybody's okay, what's going on. So he doesn't drive anymore. And uh, I, I mean, he's my dad. I, I love him. He didn't do anything mean. I, I feel like they grew up in the 50s. They thought they were going to have the nuclear family. And that's going to happen. And then the world kind of changed. And they weren't equipped to deal with that. My mom kind of fell into this weird psychological thing. And he just watched TV. He just went off and watched TV. And now, like, when you think about your dad, is it a laughing feeling you, you have for him? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm mad at him. Like, how did he leave my mom to take care of all those bills? It was a little bit more complex than that, that he wasn't always so, like, financially nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, at this point, it's just like he's an 80-year-old man. He did, I, you know, that's the thing, like, I uh, do I have huge trauma? I don't have huge trauma. I didn't have horrible parents, you know, like, nobody beat me. Uh, nobody left me out in the backyard in the cold. So it always feels sort of like I'm whining about nothing, you know? But, uh, yeah, I mean, he could have done better things, but he he was around in the end. I don't know. Yeah, I think, uh, like, uh, Tim Whelan, uh, uh, another Berlin comedian in English, uh, in German, yeah, he told me, he said uh, uh, when he think about what you think, oh, like I'm a white man, my life wasn't that bad. Uh, he he always uh, think about this. Uh, I think it's from Radiohead. It says uh, like uh, maybe my, my pain is insignificant, but doesn't mean it's not real. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I mean, I mm -hmm. think that too. It's, yeah. It's just a, you just think there's no huge trauma there. My mom dying at 25, that's a pretty big trauma. That was a trauma, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And when uh, when you're raising your children, uh, did you, like, uh, was it hard for you to not repeat the the cycle of your family? It's, it's so annoying. It's so annoying. Because you don't, I don't know, I guess I always thought, like, it's the nature versus nurture argument that I always thought, uh, like, nature is, like, nurture is, like, nature is not important to the nurture like i learned what they were a good example to me of what not to do but you fall back on like what i said these little situations where it just seems like a crisis it wasn't a crisis but it seemed like it you know the kids not doing what you want them to do and it's just messing up your weekend plans um yeah then you fall back into the parents of like screaming and uh yeah but you i mean i don't know how you avoid how do you get yourself out of it you have to get out of yourself you know it's it's like I don't know, stopping yourself from eating a hamburger when you really want to eat, like, I don't know, you, how do you stop that? And the way to stop it is to leave, but then you look like you're leaving the family, you know? So no, I wasn't successful in that. I think, I think like where I excelled and I think I hope evens out that part is the, the stability. Like mm -hmm. they know I'm here. They know we're always here. And, and would you say, would you say like your child, your children are not as traumatized as you were? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, they her, their mother is super stable, unbelievably stable, uh, and they, I mean, they don't have the divorce. They didn't have to deal with the divorce, all the weirdness that came with that. I had a stepfather for two years who was a horrible, horrible human being. They just have stability. They don't have. I mean, if you want to talk about trauma, they don't have that trauma. Like I don't think it's huge trauma, but they don't have. They have none of that. They could just focus on being themselves and doing what they wanted to do. Whereas my brother and I were had to deal with all this external garbage that we shouldn't have had to deal with. So I think definitely, I mean, 
there's been some signs somewhere where I say like, oh yeah, they've got that that I got from my mother. They got that from me. And I've tried to say like, listen, uh, that's a bad thought. That's a bad emotion. Just walk away. Mm-hmm. And uh, would you call your relationship with your children a healthy and a loving one? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so. I mean, I think like you got to be careful in that thing where we're not, we're not. I'm not friends with my kids at that moment. Their dad, like you know, there's a lot I don't know about their lives, uh, and I'm glad that's how it's supposed to be. I mean, I'd love to know. I would love to know because I love them. <laughs> but I, that's also that's the way it is, you know. As a parent, you don't get to know everything. Uh-huh. And I assume there's things they're hiding from us and stuff. That's just how it is. But I think they know if something bad happens, they know to call us. I mean, that's what you want as a parent. And I try not to overreact if they. They say as a parent, you shouldn't overreact to small things. Like if they break a glass or something, don't overreact to that. Because when something big happens, they're going to assume you're going to react the same way, and they don't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so I think so. And there was one incident where they called us in the middle of the night because they needed help, and uh, that didn't have. We just helped them, you know. So I think so. Yeah. Sounds like you you outdone your parents. You. You got better. Like at least <laughs> your your next generation sounds like way less traumatized than you. I think so. I mean, it, it wasn't hard though. You know, like uh-huh. it was easy to just stay together and uh, uh-huh. be decent parents. Yeah, I think so. And I think part of it, like, like I don't, I don't go to therapy. I doesn't doesn't just doesn't work. I think partly because of my years ago. But I, I was talking to a good friend of mine who believes in these men's groups. And he goes to therapy all the time, and he said. He said, well, yeah, but you learned when you, because I went to therapy when I was younger, I learned to kind of therapy myself. I mean, that sounds like bullshit, mm-hmm. but I can ask myself those same questions of why am I doing this? What do you, why do you really think you're doing this? What are you trying to achieve with this? And I think that helps. Uh, so I think I got better a little bit. And then hopefully because of that, it helps my kids. Yeah, I, I think the ther- the kind of therapy you went was the psychoanalysis. Um, uh, maybe you, if you one day the time is right, maybe you want to try out the behavior therapies because uh, from what I heard and what I read, uh, like uh, behavior therapies is way more effective. They basically just give you tools and help you to get out of a situation or more in touch with your feelings instead of keep analyzing your past. The problem is, yeah, I did, I did some CBT and the problem is you have to take notes. There's homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then I was kind of like, ah, I don't really, I don't care that much, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I, th- I think if you got the right therapist, it would help too, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, about your uh, current mental state, or like uh, in the past years, would you say you, uh, you live in a stable situation? Would you say you are like uh, mentally, uh, fulfilled and uh, mostly happy? <laughs> mostly happy that sounds like a loaded term yeah i think so yeah i mean i'm like mostly happy what is that yeah i think like professionally there's some issues like uh i mean my last full-time job i realized like me like if you work in an office and you think everybody in the office is an asshole and that's been happening for 20 years at some point you have to admit maybe you're the asshole you know and uh that like i got laid off i didn't have a choice but i think i was starting to think like okay how could i navigate a full-time job and really do that and especially at my age you need to focus on your career because you need retirement but then I got laid off and so now it's kind of like well what do I do and I earn a lot of money with comedy but I don't earn it like I need to get up to the next level of comedy to make the real okay money I'm not talking like the stars that make gobs of money but it would be nice to get to the next level maybe I'm too old for that and so kind of like 
my biggest worry now is that where's the money coming from? It's okay for the moment, but something has to happen soon. So that that's like the biggest weigh on my mental health. I think we, as you get older, it feels like mental health, like it kind of just gets scarred over some of the stuff, you know, like talking about my mom's death. Like, yeah, I can't watch a movie where like, and sometimes I have to turn movies off if parents are dying and stuff, but it does feel like it's not as raw as it used to be. So I think I'm mostly happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That sounds good. And you said that like when you were uh, having your first child, you, you were both on, unemployed with your partner uh how did it work out you, you know at my age i'm 33 years old um and in the past like thinking about the people who have children is like oh far away thing and now i start to realize okay i'm actually lagging behind so people who's younger than me who are already having children and now when i go out i i find myself pay more attention to people who are having children and I just observe them and I just amaze them. Like, how can they be so young and have children? Why they choose to ruin their life at such young age? Or I'm like, they look so young. How can they take responsibilities? I, I just, I, I'm just constantly amazed. I'm like this, why they are so young? Yeah, I mean, it the big thing is you have no idea how much of a responsibility it is. I mean, it sounds like maybe you do, but most people don't. I didn't. You just really, you, you don't understand what that means to say they never go away and they're always your responsibility. Like, uh, and so I think that's how come young people have, and I mean, it sounds like you have a little bit of internal pressure to have children, whether you want them or not. It sounds like there's some voice in your head saying it's obviously a topic for you. And uh, but I think we went to, like when my wife she had to have a sonogram of the baby, and we went to this clinic in kind of a poor neighborhood, and we were ten years older than every other parent there, and I thought the same thing. You know, I'm like, you people are twenty and you're having children, like, why? Like, yeah. And she just have no idea how much it's going to change. I think a lot of people are like, let's have kids. We're a couple. We love each other. Let's have them. And then they get them, and they're just like, oh my god, what have we done? Like. And you can't just, you know, you can't, you know, put them in a box and write some fishing on it and put them on the street, you know, like they're yours now. Yeah. And, then, and, and, and how little... did you survive this? Okay. So, all right. The first question, we were unemployed. Um, luckily, we live in Germany. I had worked for, back then we called them dot coms, now they're called startups. I'd had this crazy job there, made way too much money uh, and they laid me off. So I got three quarters of that salary for a year. This wow. was back when there, there was no jobs. In, there was nothing in Berlin. And so I got laid off. So I got this crazy salary for a year. My wife also got laid off. That's why we were both unemployed. And that's what she said. I was getting more unemployment money than she made when she was employed. So we just kind of lived well for like the year she was pregnant because I got unemployment. And then right when it was about to get crisis level, I, also, I just got a job offer out of nowhere. And uh, so the money thing was solved. And if you solve the money thing, then you're, you know, you're pretty happy. Then that's easy. Then it was just raising the kids. I don't know. <laughs> then we just, and it was Berlin back then. It was, there was nobody in Berlin. There was nothing here. It was cool, man. You just went out. Mm -hmm. And have you ever had an existential crisis while raising the children with the, all the pressure? Have you ever thought, oh my God, I can't do this? Uh, yeah, a lot. I mean, luckily, like, I can't, uh, my partner, that's when I was like, I can't do this, I'm leaving. Uh, then you think, well, she's there, so it's okay. And she, like, she knows I'm kind of insane too. Like, early in our relationship, like, when I kind of flipped out on her once, 
and we talked about it later on. I was like, what do you think? She was like, I was just, I just let you flip out and I thought you'll be over it at some point and then we can get back to where we were. And so I think she does that when I feel like that. I did. I mean, I tell that I actually have a bit. I haven't done that much on stage where I would, I had a really good weekend in New York once doing shows, like really good, like good shows, uh, East Village comedy and stuff. And I just thought like, you know what? I'm going to stay in Manhattan and do comedy. I'm going to leave my wife and my kids. Uh, screw them. You know, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then I realized, no, you're just being your father, and it's just comedy. Come back to Berlin, mm -hmm. and I mean that was also my my uncle ended up with the same kind of leukemia as my mom. My mom's brother, they both had the same kind of leukemia, so there was probably some trauma in there trying to deal with. Now my uncle's dying of the same disease. Now, and are then, you afraid? Do you have a leukemia? No, no, that's funny. My doctor knows. I'll just go in there, and she's like, "What do you think you have?" And then she, but she's really cool. She'll do tests to show that I don't have it. But it did work. It had it, when my uncle did die of that leukemia, the same leukemia. What effect it was like? Okay, what what are we going to do with our lives? Realizing I was glad I had this family. And what the ultimate uh, result was was that we moved to America for a couple of years because that had always been sort of like at some point we want to live in America. So then we're like, okay, well, you know, life is not infinite. We now know that. So let's go to America for a couple of years. And then we, to come back to the existential crisis, then we were in America and my professional career is being a journalist in Germany. So writing about Germany. And as soon as I moved to America, I've lost that edge. So my wife got a really good job in a cool store. Uh, my kids loved their school in America, but I couldn't find a job. And that was pretty brutal. Uh, mm. It was really difficult. So then, I mean, but we could solve that crisis and saying, okay, now we're going to move back to Germany. So then I had six months of work moving us back to Germany. So you were the one who couldn't get used to living in America. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's totally weird. Uh, and I do sometimes think like, man, maybe we should try it more. But yeah, it was. And, and uh, on, on stage, you talk about you had some like uh, edible experience <laughs> with, with your wife. So... Um, I heard that uh, in the in the 90s there were lots of hippies, uh, hipster in in Berlin, and now they are all parents. So I guess you are one of them. How 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 did you raise your children? Like uh, regarding like their drug use, are you one of the open-minded person? No, I'm not. Like you got to be super careful with uh, like weed is okay. How are you gonna like? I have lots of friends who smoke weed, and that it's probably less harmful than alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I drink I drink way too much alcohol. And uh, so I, I just say, you know, weed is fine, but don't don't mess with anything else. Like, I mean, I had a friend, Denver friend, an acquaintance, a guy kind of looked up who made furniture. We just tried heroin for fun. And then, you know, a couple months later, we saw him sitting on the street at the homeless shelter. Like, you just can't joke around with that stuff, really. So uh, raising my kids, I just said, you know, marijuana, that's it. And even then, I'm like, don't do that. But yeah, it's hard to go on stage and say, oh, your mom and I did edibles once. <laughs> do, do, do they watch your comedy? Yeah, yeah, sure, they come, yeah. They don't mind it, even though oh. a lot of it's about them, yeah. And they, and they are they, like, uh, do you feel uncomfortable when you talk about the sexual stuff? <laughs> no, the only one time my in-laws were here, my wife's parents, and then... Uh, I You know, the thing on stage where I'm like, I have one bit about how, like, about my wife and I having sex. And uh, so my kids are there. My wife is there. Her parents are there. My brain is like, do not do this bit. Whatever you do, do not do this bit. And then, of course, your brain's like, well, let's do this bit. 
And so then I'm talking about having sex with their daughter right in front of them and their grandkids. And they still, my kids still bring that up. Like, well, dad, what are you doing? So, so your, your, your children, did they feel embarrassed or they feel it's funny? No, they, they were embarrassed. Yeah. They don't okay. think it's funny. They don't, they don't think their mom and I having sex is funny at all. There's nothing. They don't, they don't want to even know about it. They don't, you know, well, fair enough. I didn't want to know about my parents having sex. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, would you say your your children like are happy people? I think so. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Because for me, I fear if one day I don't think I will have children, but I fear if I have children, I would be so stressed because, uh, like, I'm so afraid of passing my my trauma to my children. Sometimes when I take care of my dogs. I feel I'm like, oh, I don't play with them. I don't know how to play because I was never playing as a kid. And uh, I don't res- respect their boundary. And uh, when they sleep, I touch them. And uh, when they want to play, I just don't ignore them. I'm like, oh, you cannot be a parent. You fuck them up. I mean, that's one problem of being a parent is that then all of that stuff comes up. It, it just comes back out because now it's a reverse role. So you're confronted with it. That definitely comes out. That's not easy. But I don't think about pink parents so much of it is just you're just tired, man. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go touch a baby that's sleeping like you would a dog because you're glad the baby is finally sleeping. Like you just you can finally do something for you. So like you're, a lot of it's just autopilot. And then the playing with kids. OK, maybe your parents. It's easy, though. Like kids, whatever you want to play, you know, all you have to think is Moni. I should be playing with my kids. Grab a ball that's in the corner and they will play with you with the ball. You can do whatever you want. And that's kind of nice. Like you, you don't have to worry about it. that. You didn't learn how to do it. They'll do whatever you want. You know. If you think being parent uh, that difficult, why you had the second one? Because <laughs> we're dumb. Because <laughs> we're stupid. Yeah. No, I don't know. It, uh, it. I mean, the first one was great. She slept quick. Uh, she was super easy. She just like being. It was like she's just like being with us. You know. So we're like, let's have another one of these that just likes being with us. And then, of course, he was terrible. He's great. He might be listening right now. I don't know. He's, he's the only one that lives here now. Uh, he's great now. Fantastic kid now. <laughs> uh, but and then and the thing, that's the thing. Like, all he he just was very, he knew what he wanted. And that's what he wanted. He didn't want to compromise. And, it, like, that makes sense, you know. Mm-hmm. I wish I had been more patient with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why. I don't know. We, we just did have another one. We it was the same. It was kind of like we just didn't we didn't we had unprotected sex because we thought we could. We she was still uh, nursing, and there's this belief that when people are nursing, they're not you can't get pregnant. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, you know it's not true. And we thought, well, we'll just do it anyway because we kind of want another kid, but we don't uh-huh. know if we want another kid. We left uh-huh. it up to fate. Uh huh. You <laughs> you are like, oh, maybe my mom was right. I mean, infertile yeah, yeah, as yeah, soon yeah, as yeah. the first kid. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, like you say, you are mostly happy. Have you ever had an episode in the late years? When's the last time you feel you are out of control? No, I mean, it wouldn't have been that. I mean, a lot, like, you know, it wouldn't have been that long ago. Like, the thing is, I work at home. I work alone. Mm-hmm. So it can happen where I'm just here. I just go for a walk or, uh, I mean, a couple of days ago, I, I was on a walk, and I don't know why this dude like he like cr- he crossed against the light. That's the man crossed against the light. But then like he 
made a big deal. He basically just bumped into me. I could have gotten out of the way. And for a second, I thought you could get out of the way. And I thought like, I'm not going to get out of the way. And then he bumped into me and then he started yelling at me. He's like, what? And then I was going to start yelling at him. And then I thought, man, you know exactly where this is going. This is just you taking your frustrations out on whatever mm-hmm. on this dude. And uh, I just walked away, but I, it took all my effort to walk away and not turn around and go back and start yelling at me. And anyway, I kind of bumped into him because I wanted to piss him off. And that's definitely not uh, control. That's not uh, that's not a good way to live. So for you, out of control is just that. Sounds like well, your your life is pretty good. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to like explain all the emotions and everything that was in me at that moment, the rage that's in me, and feeling like I can't. I mean, there hasn't been a time when I haven't gotten in a huge fight with my kids in probably four years. That was probably the last time where it was like, because kids don't give up. They don't know the consequences. They don't know where it's. And if you don't give up, then it's just going to go. You're going to end up in prison. Uh, that hasn't happened in four years, probably. So uh, four years ago, what happened? It, uh, it was a stressful situation because a good friend of ours died, a good family friend. And then I don't even remember what it was over. Just like something banal of like, you know, eat your dinner. I'm not going to eat my dinner. Eat your dinner. And then it just ends up with like, I'm leaving. Well, if you leave, we're going to call the police. No, I'll call the police. Like <laughs> That's just, so yeah. stupid. Yeah, 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 yeah. And those are the situations where like, I should have just left. I should have said, you know, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to leave for 15 minutes and come back. But that's the same emotion I had when the guy bumped into me when I was like, mm-hmm. I caused the situation because there was some frost built up inside of me that I wanted to. I, I think you are pretty in control because like when, when things is clayed, is clayed, you, you have, a, you, you know, to take a pause and to leave. I think that's that's really, really good. But so why is that rage in there? Where did that come from, you know? Like, that would be nice to get rid of. Yeah, maybe you should go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and, yeah. And, and uh, okay, let's talk back to comedy. Like, for me, uh, I think comedy really helped me a lot when dealing with emotions. For example, I remember like I started a comedy in 2018 when I was depressed. And the one of the comedy show really, really, really shocked me was uh, Sui Mike's. Uh, have you watched it by Neil Brennan? Yeah, yeah, Neil Brennan, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, wow, I didn't know you can use comedy to talk about things like this and depression, your self-doubts. Um, have you watched any comedy show that give you a feeling, oh my God, that really describe how you feel? I mean, I think that's why I loved comedy from the beginning. I, like that was, I saw George Carlin when I was like 12 or something. And I mean, he was just talking about baseball and football. But I thought, wow, that's exactly how I feel about those two sports. And he's not only saying how I'm thinking, he's saying it funnily. Like, this is fun to watch. And then I think, I think that's what I like about comedy is that you get to go inside these people's lives and see what their life's like. And like Neil Brennan, his, tra- his, his tragedy or whatever, or your comedy about what it's like for you. I mean, you've got, you're not just a Chinese expat living in, Berlin, you have all these personal issues you talk about on stage. And uh, so I think that's why I like comedy. Yeah. Um, even now, like the comedians I watch, it's all, it is that. I mean, it's got to be relatable, right? That's the thing about mm-hmm. comedy, it has to be relatable. And so I can't remember anybody who said, like, oh, well, I mean, you can't say his name anymore, but Louis C.K. talking about having children, you know, he was one of the first to say, like, yeah, it's not all, you know, it's not all great having kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any of I mean I pressing Tom but any of those like sure it happens all the time that's why I love comedy and if you uh would 
recommend one or two like comedy shows, like really like can relate uh to your struggles and your mental challenges. Do you have a、uh, one or two recommendations for mental struggles? <sighs> I mean, he's dead now, Louis Anderson. I don't know a special by Louis Anderson, but Louis Anderson was one that I thought like when he talked about. Uh, struggles with his family and struggle that would be one like with、mm-hmm. Louis Anderson. I would definitely listen to that.、Um, uh, I don't know who else. Like I feel like mental health. I don't know. Like it's tough. It's but Louis Anderson, I think, would probably be up there.、Uh, I, I don't know who do you listen to that you think besides Neil Brennan. I I think Neil Brennan is、uh, really really great. Uh, but my f- uh personal favorite um I think is uh, by uh what's his name uh Ricky Reinoid. He's not、yeah. very famous. Um, he has a comedy special recorded on YouTube. Uh, so it was done in the nineties. Uh, called、uh, "Only the Truth is Funny." So basically, he he from a really really like a dysfunctional family,、uh, growing up with an alcoholic single mom in poverty,、uh, and like、uh, I, I uh being like like witness his mom being uh, uh like assaulted in front of him, and then uh like lots of really really dark stuff. Then finally had a. Uh, stepfather like making his life whole again, really full of love, and eventually found out the stepfather is a bank robber, <laughs> and then he talk about his love life, how insecure he is, and this kind of things, and basically he had a burnout from his career, realized whatever he say on stage is not um. Is not a、uh, a、uh, true, and he doesn't care about it anymore. So he he went、uh, into a retreat. Eventually, he developed this one man show. Basically, everything in this show is a、uh, is truth. There's not even one lie. So he just used、uh, real life as his material and put this show together. It's really authentic, um, and it's really really touching, um. Before I, when I saw this show, I was like, "Wow! I didn't know you can do a show like this." So, um, I think my style, if if uh anyone watching my solos, my solos are very close to to this. It's my like my my northern star. So, uh, part of it、uh, not funny at all. Uh, but uh, but it's the main narrative. But uh, I put it together and somehow make everything funny. Uh. I think for for me doing comedy is、uh, it's more about、uh, dealing with my mental issues than than writing jokes itself. But I I think that's I think that's totally true. That's how it sort of comes from. Is like these things that you have to deal with in life. You're thinking about them all the time anyway.、Mm. And then yeah, then you just put a funny spin on it. I mean, you're kind of putting a funny spin on it for yourself anyway. I mean, this bit that's destroying right now in my German things is about how I was in this office and the Germans were having cake. And they、mm. just could not stop talking about the cake, and the cake was the biggest thing you've ever heard of. And I just wanted to murder them all that day.、Mm. Uh, and so I just talk about it on stage, and it's funny now that it's funny on stage. But that day, it drove me nuts.、Mm. Really drove me insane. But and I and I think that's why we're taking a look at these things happening in our lives anyway. We're observing them sort of as an outsider, and that's why you end up coming to comedy. Yeah. So、uh, then, if it's not about mental struggle, what's your all-time favorite comedian? We can check out. Uh, Maria Bamford probably. 
cool. And she actually, she also, I mean, it all, there is also mental illness in there that I think hers is so extreme, but you yeah. can kind of learn about your own because you're like, well, I have that, but not, not to her the extent she has it, but you kind of, you're like, okay, then I am okay. Like mm-hmm. I have those same kind of thoughts and then she's successful and okay. So it's okay. But yeah. probably like the one, like when I'm going home after a gig and I'm like, oh, I just want to listen to something good. I'll put it on an old Maria Bamford album. Wow, cool. Okay, so our podcast is coming to an end. I will ask you one last question. Okay. As an experienced uh, human uh, at the age of 53, and uh, for all the people with uh, young and, uh, and uh, uh, energetic out there, uh, if you have uh, like uh, one sentence to say to the young people, what do you want to share? Except use a condom. <laughs> yeah i know what i want to share yeah just be true to yourself i don't know like i should have admitted it a long time ago the comedy is what i want to do mm-hmm. uh and followed that rather than what i ended up the path line of Google. but life's complex but i think yeah trust yourself man believe in yourself so you mean like you 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 wanted to do comedy way earlier than the year of 40 yeah, 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 yeah. It was always the biggest love. I loved watching comedy. I loved reading mm-hmm. humorous columnists. I loved, but I just, I always thought writing humor is the most difficult thing you can never do. That's the one thing you'll never be able to do because it's so difficult. Yeah, so, but uh, then I think you are still lucky at the age of 40, at least you started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's better than ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, better than, yeah, that was the point. That's what I said. Yeah, do it now or never. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And uh, I think your story somehow turned out uh, very positive. Like uh, with your childhood, you end up being a father and raised two children, somehow not to fuck up. And uh, you took care of yourself. You took care of your family and uh, you survived. It's not over yet, man. <laughs> but still, from biologic sense, you already pass on your genes. You are already, a, uh, yeah, 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 already yeah. successful. Cool. Cool. Not thank you. Better. Thank you very much. And uh, hope you have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.